Well, it's wonderful to see you again and to meet with you again. And thank you so much for watching and thank you for your prayers and your support uh, financially and by encouragement, all of those kind of things during these kind of weird days. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, what's going to happen with all of this stuff with the virus. But um, as things kind of begin to spike again and the mayor had a press conference uh, this past week for the first time in seven weeks. There's something going on with all of that. And I know that you find on a scale of things, some people are in the camp of saying this is all just kind of made up and political. And I don't doubt that there's some degree of truth in that. There are other people that are kind of panicked over all of this. And, uh, you know, when you look at certain things, there are reasons to be concerned. I'm kind of in the middle and I think um, Robert Taylor dying from this virus sort of really impacted me and uh, hit me. And we don't want to spread this. We don't want to make people sick, especially those who are the most vulnerable. And so bear with us on all of this kind of stuff as we try to walk through and figure it out. But in the meantime, again, thank you so much for your support. We are uh, looking at our Sunday school lessons. This is the last one in June, for June 28th, of course. And we've been talking about uh, different worldviews, worldviews that are uh, a threat to uh, Christianity, a threat to our belief system, a threat to our culture. In fact, the things that we've been talking about in here, whether you realize it or not, your children, your grandchildren, are inundated with these things. These seven things that we are talking about, we'll do the seventh one today, these are not an anomaly. They're not just some little weird left-wing radical fringe group thing. These are mainstream now, mainstream. People really do believe these. Politicians, entertainers, um, you know, educators, all kinds of people are believing these things. And they're influenced the way that uh, people are being taught. They're influencing the way history is being written or should I say rewritten in some cases. Uh, they affect the way churches and Christians preach and think. We've uh, seen so many radical changes in churches over the last, oh, 20 years, maybe even the last 10 years a lot. Uh, things that uh, if you had talked to me about them 30 years ago, I would have just kind of brushed you off and said, no, that'll never happen. But uh, social justice and all kinds of things are even infiltrating and changing the way even our Southern Baptist Convention is acting and thinking and reacting to things. Because all of these things have uh, permeated our society in every area. And so that's why we have to take them seriously. And I hope you do, and I hope that our church will. I certainly do, because they are uh, very, very real. And we looked at uh, Gnosticism, and with all of the stuff that's going on, especially right now racially, can I just uh, ask that you would do something? You ought to look at the video. You can find it uh, on the web very easily. It's been all over Facebook. In fact, I even shared a link with it on my personal page. And it's by a guy that his name is Vadi, V-O-D-D-I-E, Bakum, B-A-U, C-H-A-M, I believe that's correct, and he's an African-American. He has been educated in Southern Baptist schools. He is a Calvinist. He's a very, very good biblical expositor, and he has a message called Ethnic 
Gnosticism. Well, isn't that interesting? Because we talked about that. And he explains some of the things that are going on and why it's so difficult for any of us to come to any type of agreement. You would think reasonable people would be able to do that. But uh, there's more to it. There's more to it than we might think and more than uh, we certainly understand. I would encourage you to uh, watch that sermon. It's very, very good. And then we also talked about legalism, and we talked about dualism, the idea that right and wrong are equal, and it's just two sides of the same coin. Uh, all of these devalue God and devalue His Word. We talked about Darwinism and the concepts, the evolutionary concepts that have changed our society and changed our worldview. We've talked about pragmatism, that it's not really based upon what's truth or what's good or what's right or revealed by God. It boils down to how does it work for you? And uh, if it's working, then do it. If not, then you can uh, throw it away. And then we talked about synchronism, uh, syncretism, where we just kind of put everything together and um, take the best parts of everything, no matter how demonic it may be, put it together with the claims of Christ, and we'll come up kind of with our own religion, our own ideas. Now, uh, I want to talk today about what I think is the most deadly of all of these, and it's uh, very real, and uh, it's affected our culture. It's changed our culture, not for the good, and that is secular humanism. Now, make no mistake, secular humanism is a religion, and uh, when we talk about it, our working definition of it will be something like this. It is a belief system... See, it's a religion that rejects virtually every single principle of God's Word. I want to uh, use as a scripture basis for this Psalms 4, and we'll look at verses 1 through 6. You'll be familiar with it. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Then he describes these people who say that. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And here's the conclusion of his finding. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Now this is secular because it's a desire for a society without God or anything that pertains to God. And it's humanism because this is living solely for the temporary glory of man. It's a human-centered a human type thing. And so uh, when we look at this and we think about what all is going in our world and going on in our world, we, we see that the absence of God, the absence of a belief in God, the absence of an accountability to God uh, is at the root of all of this. And then there's this, uh, well, there's this uh, desire and this passion that they have to destroy anything and everything 
that might have to do with God or his commands or his word or his people uh, to destroy the family, to destroy uh, babies in their mother's wombs. I mean, all kinds of things that are going on. Even racism is uh, one of these things, whether it's on uh, either side. It is denying the fact that all people, every human being, is created in the image of God. Racism is evil, it is sinful, it is demonic, and it has no place in Christianity. Now, I know that uh, there are people who would like to attach Christianity and say that Christians have promoted racism, but not true believers. That's corrupt Christianity. That's a false Christianity. Okay? So understand that. Here's another verse out of Psalm. It's out of 103, verses 15 through 17. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and in its place... Uh, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So there's a contrast here between those who love God, know God, honor God, acknowledge God, whatever order you want to put those in, and those who try to distance themselves from God or to deny God there's a big difference. One's life has weight and value and eternity, and the other one, well, the Bible says it's like grass that just withers, and in its place, I mean, nobody mourns, nobody remembers. It's just no big deal. It's gone. You know, in the book of James, it says that life is like a vapor, and most of the time, we make reference to that as being the brevity of life. And Boy, that is true. That's not uh, an unwise conclusion. Life goes by, trust me, a whole lot faster than you think it is going to go by. I've never heard anyone that gets to, uh, you know, maybe they get to be about 80 years of age and they said, shoo, this has taken forever. Uh, almost everybody says it went by faster than I ever expected it to. Well, that's because life is like that. It, it passes by in a hurry. But I don't think that's really the point that James was making. In the context there, if you'll read those verses, he was talking about people who make no provision for the will of God in their life. Their life is like a vapor. It vanishes. It has no impact. It has no meaning. They're just gone. And I'm afraid that's the way most people live their lives. They're not really honoring God. They're not really glorifying God. They're not really doing anything that has any eternal significance. And so their life is like the vapor, or in this case, like the grass who is here, and then it is gone. But boy, do they ever act important, impressive, powerful, uh, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it. As man begins to strut, as man begins to act like we've got ideas no one has ever thought of, well, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Those new ideas that come up in generations, they're rooted in things that are very old and very ancient and, might I say, very corrupt. In fact, when the Bible tells us there's none that does good, you know, we might look at that and say, well, how can that be? What about people that are curing cancer? What about people that are giving to help the homeless? What about those type of things? Well, from God's perspective, here's the deal. They're all tainted. 
They're all tainted with a desire, in most of those cases, to glorify self. There's a big difference between the person who does what appears to be good from the resources of a corrupt heart and for self-glory as opposed to the person who has surrendered and submitted to God and does all things for the glory of God. George Washington Carver, a former slave who became a great scientist, did everything he did because he believed in the creative power of God and believed that science was given for the glory of God. And that's how, as a Christian, he tried to live his life, which is something we all ought to do. But secular humanism just punches all of that in the face. Secular humanism is not content just to knock out Christianity or Christian ideals, but it wants to choke them out. It wants to destroy them and do it all for the glory of man. How dare there be a God who would get in my way? How dare there be a God who would hold me into account? How dare anyone or anything do that to me? Because as a human, I am supreme, and as a secular human, there is nothing that is higher than me. Boy, that's kind of the outgrowth of Darwinism, isn't it? We're at the top of the chain, and it may have been by accident. It may be for no particular purpose, but hey, we're king of the mountain. Let's live like it and do whatever we want to do. You see, for the secular humanism, uh, humanist, number one, when we talk about God... The secular humanist believes that God is created by man rather than vice versa. Rather than God creating man, man created God. Uh, they think that this concept of God is irrelevant to morality and ethics. That it's not that there's a higher standard of accountability or revelation as to why we need to live. The Ten Commandments are irrele irrelevant to them. They simply think that this is what we have decided and the way that we want to live and the way that we have put laws and ethical systems and moral systems together. And these things, of course, as we'll see in our next point, are fluid. They're changeable because there's no outside accountability to anything or to anyone. And they believe that religion and the concept of God is actually used to try to control, to try to manipulate people, especially the poor, the uneducated, and the oppressed. And they might use the example to say that a white slave owner might want to have his slaves um, indoctrinated with the idea of God and that authority so that he might control them and say that you're a slave by the will and the plan of God, so just live with it and and deal with it, and yet ignore the weightier matters that Jesus talked about, about justice and uh, those type of things, and ignore the fact that they are enslaving someone and oppressing someone who is made in the image of God. Well, the secular humanist might be right in some of those areas, but he ignores the fact that during those times of slavery, there were a lot of people preaching against it, working against it, and fighting against it simply because they said it's wrong to enslave someone who was made in the image of God. And so the abolitionist movement back uh, pre-Civil War, there was a lot of that that was uh, rooted in biblical Christianity and believers who saw slavery as abhorrent. So when they say that this is just used to control the masses, that's, a, that's smoke and mirrors. In fact, that sounds a whole lot like Karl Marx, 
who uh, Marxism is kind of the breeding ground for communism, right? And Marx said, it's a paraphrase, that religion is the opiate of the masses. What do you mean by that? Well, opiates, well, that's drugs. And he was saying that all that does is it takes the oppressed masses and through religion, through worship, through Bible reading, through a concept of God and morality, it sort of is like the drug that keeps them from really feeling their pain. Well, that's a cynical outlook, isn't it? But that comes rooted out of cynical, uh, out of secular humanism, pardon me, which says that God is simply the invention of man and everything that goes with it. Secondly, let's talk about morality and see if this doesn't ring true in our society. It's the idea that it is changeable. It's not stuck. It's not fixed. It's not something that is absolute. In fact, they would say there are no absolutes, and uh, that's the way they live their lives. And so what was true and right and good and proper a hundred years ago would not be today. And ideas about sexuality or anything like that would be changed because we live in modern times. We've got to update the Bible. We've got to update our religion. We've got to update our concept of what's right or wrong to fit whatever it is that people want to do today. And that's perfectly fine to the secular humanist. Might be abhorrent to the biblical Christian, but it is perfectly fine with someone who is steeped in secular humanism. It's changeable, and uh, it's also very subjective. When you think about morality, they say, what is truth for you is not truth for me, and vice versa, and we just live according to our own truth. And they even make it situational. It may have been true for you in one situation, but now it's not true for you in another situation because you've changed, your status has changed, your situation has changed, and so you've got to be able to adjust with the times. We don't want to be stuck on anything like that. And it is based upon human will, not divine revelation. In fact, they might say that we can all vote on whether homosexuality is a sin or not and ignore what the Bible says. We can just kind of vote on whether adultery is wrong or, you know, or whether the Bible is true about all of that. It's all fluid to them. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want to do. And um, thirdly, we can talk about eternity because they would say, well, there is no heaven. There's no judgment, there's no accountability, therefore there's also no hell. That's John Lennon's dream, isn't it, in his song Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try it. Remember that? And uh, that's the secular humanist view. Don't worry about all of that. That's all been used just to control you, to manipulate you, to keep you from expressing yourself, to keep you from being who you really are, to keep you from doing what you think is fun and right and all of that. And uh, so don't worry about eternity. Don't worry about that because there is no accountability. In fact, that's why um, someone said that 50 years ago, the best known verse in uh, American society was John 3.16. Now it is Matthew chapter 7, is it verse 7? Judge not that you be not judged. And they take it completely, of course, out of context. So what's left when you have a God that is just simply made up and doesn't exist, when you have morality that can change, when there's no eternity, there's nothing really to live for except for this life and what it contains, 
Well, then what, what do you get out of that? Well, think about this. You have a lack of authority. There's nobody that really controls. There's nobody that's really right. There's nobody that really has any firm foundation or platform to stand on in terms of judging what's good or bad, right or wrong, profitable or unprofitable in anything. Everything is up for grabs. Where does that lead us? Kind of to where we're heading right now. Anarchy. So who are you to tell me that I can't spit in a cop's face? Who are you to tell me that I can't break into your home and uh, take your flat screen TV? Who are you to tell me I can't bust the window in a store and go in and help myself to whatever I want? Who are you to do that? I'm going to do it because it seems right to me. I'll call your attention to Judges 21:25. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, we kind of miss that. What does it mean that there was no king in Israel? What's the big deal about that? Because we don't have a king now. But in those days, what a king did is he set the laws and he made judgments, kind of like the Supreme Court or something like that. He made judgments as to who was right and who was wrong in any given dispute. In other words, there was an authority when the king was there, and there was a right, and there was a wrong, and there was some accountability. And what the writer of Judges is saying is that in those days, no king, there was nobody to judge whether something was good or bad, right or wrong. There was no fear of punishment. There was no accountability for anything. And so everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. It was a free-for-all. It was anarchy. And you can only imagine. Well, read the book of Judges and you can see all kinds of things that took place in those days. It never works out well. In fact, I would go so far as to say that uh, from a biblical standpoint, anarchy is actually worse than a bad or corrupt government. The, the bottom... Wrong, I guess you would say, on the ladder is anarchy. That's not the highest plane. That's the worst of all situations. And as you can kind of tell, that's sort of what we are seeing expressed in the times in which we live. I'm thankful that it is not, you know, dominant at this point, but it's trying. And uh, that's because there's an agenda behind a lot of this stuff that goes on. And uh, a lot of humans don't even recognize it. Because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And yet we tend to look at flesh and blood and we see what people are doing. But there's more to it than that. That uh, there are principalities and powers, right? Demons that are working behind all of this. And uh, they attack in so many different areas. But this certainly would be one of their favorite ways. When we think about the results of this view... I think that uh, these are not in any particular order, but just some things that I've written down. Despair. You know, if there's nothing really to live for and there's no purpose in life and uh, no reason to do right or no reason for anything at all, well, then there's just despair. What's a person supposed to do? If everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, they're going to be winners and they're going to be losers under that. And the strong are going to be able to do uh, whatever they want. The influential can do whatever they want and gather others with them. 
But the people who may be like you or me, who don't really have much of a voice or much influence in that or much power, and as we grow older, we may grow weaker, what happens? Well, there's a lot of despair in all of that. This is not something where we feel safe or protected or anything like that at all. Um, also, I've written down here that under secular humanism, the wrong people tend to gain power. Uh, look what happened to communist Russia. Look what's going on in communist China. Think about Cuba and North Korea, those kind of places. Think about that. And, and what is it that a communist Marxist-based government wants to do first thing? Well, they want to disarm the population. And they do that not only by taking their guns away, but by retraining the way that they think and training them to think in an atheistic, secular manner. Secular humanism, by the way. Um, racism comes out of all of that. It doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it stirs it up and it makes it worse. Greed, moral confusion, crime, death. Think about uh, how secular humanism, the idea of that is being used to justify abortion, for example. Anybody who has a theistic viewpoint would find abortion abhorrent. We're killing babies in their mother's wombs who are created by God and made in the image of God. But if you take away all of that, then it's just we're just thinning the herd. No big deal. Um, and the culture of death. There's also abuse of people. Uh, people can't get ahead financially because they can't control themselves or discipline themselves because everything in society says, go for it, get whatever you want. And uh, people are plunged into debt and foolishness and not planning for the future because they don't see any sense of accountability in this life or the next. There's tyranny, uh, socialism, Marxism, that type of thing. But let's remember, as Christians, we've got to think theologically. The worst thing about it is secular humanists, those who believe in that, die and spend an eternity in hell. And so we've got to remember those kind of things and think about that and not just be angry about what's going on, but also to be reminded that uh, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and there's a gospel that can liberate people from this horribly wicked worldview. Our founders understood some of these things a little better than we do. In uh, the Declaration of Independence, they wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that are among these life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. There's no evolution and there's no atheism in that. Created and creator are mentioned. And with that, the accountability, the rule of law, the separation of powers and the branches of government so that uh, under the way they designed it, no one person or no one branch could really dominate over all the others. We don't really see that being lived out, do we? But uh, at least they acknowledged it and so should we. In fact, I found a thing that was... Uh, uh, a study that was done in public schools from 1940 to 1990. I know 1990 was a long time ago. But uh, in the 50 years, 1940 to 1990, they had asked teachers to list what their problems were. And they ranked them from one on down to the last one. In 1940, the number one problem was talking in class. In 1990, the problem was drug abuse. In 1940, number two was chewing gum. 
Can you imagine that? In uh, 1990, number two was alcohol abuse. In 1940, uh, the problem number three was making noise. In 1990, it was uh, uh, out of wedlock pregnancy. In 1940, it was running in the halls. In 1990, number four was suicide. In 1940, number five was uh, cutting in line. In 1990, number five was rape. In 1940, number six was dress code violation. In number six, it, uh, 1990, number six was robbery. And number seven in 1940 was littering. And in 1990, it was assault. Boy, you can see what happened. Because in 1962, 1963, there were Supreme Court decisions that took Bible reading and prayer and those kind of things out of school. In the 1980s, you couldn't display the Ten Commandments. In other words, anything biblical and anything that held any kind of clear-cut morality and anything that uh, uh, even smacked of any kind of divine authority was all taken out. In fact... Um, I found the uh, prayer that was uh, thrown out of the Supreme Court. It was found unconstitutional. Well, it must have been really something. It must have been in the name of Jesus, and it must have been very evangelical and all of that. Well, let me read it to you. This is what the court found that could not be prayed in school. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee, and we beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Amen. That is what was so reprehensible. And you notice that what that did, throwing that prayer out through any type of accountability to school leaders, to parents, or even to God, completely out the window. And so the influence of secular human, even on Christians... I mean, it's kind of the pressure to stop praying. What good does it do? God doesn't hear. Stop worshiping. It doesn't really change your life. Stop witnessing. We don't really want to hear what you have to stay. say. Stop voting. Just stay home. We'll take care of all of this kind of stuff. And stop educating. You don't really need to dig back into the past and, and try to teach your children something that might be accurate. Let us revise history. We'll take care of all of that. And stop engaging in things. Just hibernate and hide. When the truth of the matter is what we need to do, and we'll conclude with this, we really need to pray. God's the only hope that we have. We really do need to worship more passionately and we need to be more regular and more intense about worship rather than having it just be a casual, a side thing that we do if we have time. We really do need to witness. That's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's how we are salt and light in a rotten and decaying and, anarch, uh, and anarchy uh, what word would you use there? Anarchic, I don't know, situation. Uh, look it up. And uh, we also need to uh, vote, and we need to be engaged. In the last election, there was something like 50% or so, give or take, of evangelicals didn't even bother to show up to vote at the polls. That's shameful. This is a stewardship that we have. And we need to get educated and learn the truth, and we need to engage rather than hibernate. And that's why the Bible says, let your light shine before men. Not inside the church, but out there in the dark world. Why? That they glorify us? No, that's what the secular humanist wants. 
but that they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's the direction that we really want to go. So I'll conclude by uh, reminding you of the old hymn that says, Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Thank you and God bless you. And may the Lord through us bless the culture, bless our families, and bless our nation for his glory and his glory alone. And all God's people said, Amen.